0: this latest episode in the 2019 roundtable series. Today's discussion is, are you listening in the Sea lounge? I need help. My name is Jonathan Farrington. I'm CEO of JF initiatives. And that of course is the parent company of Top Sales World, Top Sales Magazine, the Global Sales Directory and the Sales Futurists. I'm also the Director of Research for the Sandler Research Centre. Now if you didn't see the pre Um, recording blurb, let me share it with you. We understand that in most organizations, the sales manager has become pivotal. They are driving the sales team, which is the company's engine room. The primary objective of a professional sales manager needs to be to achieve consistently superior results through the performance of every key individual. And yet, according to recent research by Sandler Research Center, just 43% of sales managers do not receive effective training prior to taking up the role. In other words, they're not given the tools and the skills before the outputs required. One in three sales managers last three years or less in the role. 32% replied to our research that the ongoing training that sales managers do receive is not effective or not very effective. said that sales management is not effective or not very effective at coaching, and only 12% are very effective. And yet, I'm sure we all agree, this is the most critical sales management skill, and I've got absolutely no doubt that one of my guests will be making big play of that later on. 38% said that sales management is not effective or not very effective at recruitment and onboarding skills, and only 6% are very effective. So that's one in 16. The reality is that the sales leader's role has never been more critical. And in our opinion, the paucity of qualified, inspirational, experienced leaders is one of the main reasons why sales achievement levels continue to plummet. The conclusion? Most sales managers are not receiving the support and guidance they need. So what's to be done? Well, let me introduce today's panel, if I may. I'll begin with George Bronson. George is a lifelong entrepreneur with 20 years of experience in the software space and a passion for sales and marketing. With the life motto, don't settle for mainstream, George is always looking for new ways to achieve improved business results using innovative software skills and processes. He shares his thoughts on the award-winning blog, Art and Science of Complex Sales. And since 2012, George and his team at Membrane.com have collaborated with thought leaders and studied research to identify the success factors behind successful sales organizations. The result of their hard work is the software as a service that makes it easier for companies to capture, learn and execute the behaviors needed to achieve sales excellence. Next, we have Mike Yesterday, Mike has been the CEO of Integrity Solutions since 2011. Over the past 25 years, Mike has experienced a wide variety of success in sales, leadership and training. In his very first sales role, he was the number one salesperson out of 6,000. Later, he founded several successful companies in the real estate industry. And in 1985, he founded the largest distributorship for Integrity Solutions and since then has helped organizations from over 120 countries improve sales coaching and customer service skills he's also a board member of isa the premier association of learning providers david mattson and we hope david will be joining us i'm acutely aware of um just you know really how um testing his current schedule is Um, But I'll introduce him with the hope that he will be joining us. David, of course, is a best-selling author, sales and management thought leader, keynote speaker, and leader for sales and management training. As CEO and president of Sandler Training, David oversees the corporate direction and strategy for the company's global operations with focus on sales leadership, strategy, and client satisfaction. He's also found the time to write five books, the latest of which are the road to excellence and the success cadence. And last but certainly not least, Keith Rosen. Keith is the CEO of CoachQuest, and over three decades, Keith has delivered his transformational programs to hundreds of thousands of salespeople and managers in practically every industry on five continents and in over 70 countries. Keith has written several bestsellers, including Own Your Day, the globally acclaimed coaching salespeople into sales champions, which was winner of five international best book awards and the number one best-selling sales management coaching book on Amazon for the last seven consecutive years. His most recent book, Sales Leadership, The Essential Leadership Framework to Coach Sales Champions, Inspire Excellence, and Exceed Your Business Goals, was named the 2018 top sales book of the year gentlemen welcome there they all are okay so this is a hot topic um as you all know you've been on panels um, throughout 2019 you know that this is never ever very far from our thinking we're always wondering scratching our heads and and considering what can be done to arrest this current malaise um and you know we're set to report i believe we're set to report that in 2019 only 42% of frontline sales professionals have done their number which is really really staggering and terribly disappointing so i'm going to start with you mike because what we're going to focus on today is it, there's no, absolutely no point in us continually haranguing sales managers. We've got to understand what they need, and, and certainly over at the Research Centre, you know, the team, what we're trying to do is to roll back the carpet, get underneath the sheet, look in the backyard. We're trying to discover what on earth is going on specifically within the sales management function. Now, Mike, you've written quite a lot about this recently. You've spoken a lot share with us your initial thoughts before we do a deep dive into this terribly important topic
1: uh thank you jonathan um what we found is that this really is as we all know probably the number one leverage point in a company but yet many c level leaders don't understand the importance of the issue and how it can be corrected Uh, you know too often they as we all know they hire Uh, top salespeople become managers or they hire a manager from another competing company and think they're going to be okay. The study that we did, and and thank you for sharing the Sandler research information. It was very interesting. A global study we did recently on coaching was that 76% of the people said, sales leaders said that this is a critical piece, but yet three out of four said that they do little or no coaching. Yeah. Uh, Less than half of the managers were effective at coaching but yet when they were effective, there's a pretty significant increase in in revenue. So if the senior leaders understood that and understood a couple of things they could do, I think it could have a major increase in their their productivity. Yeah, I totally agree, Mike.
0: By the way, I'm just about to come on to you, Keith, and now I'm coming back to George. Um, But David has now joined us. Welcome, David. Welcome, thank you. (laughs) Last but not least.
2: We technology, int- I apologize. No,
0: that's OK. We didn't introduce you. We know that. Uh, so everybody is expecting you. Um, staying with coaching, Keith. Yeah. W- what we're talking about, I think, uh, is that. Broadly, sales managers aren't getting the development, the coaching, the mentoring, the counseling that they need, even when they're in the role, let alone before it. But of course, you know, all five of us have trained sales managers, so I guess the people that we've got our hands on have been the fortunate ones. In your view, Keith, what percentage of sales managers out there are actually getting the coaching and the mentoring and the counseling and the training that they need?
3: I would probably say less than 10%.
0: It's horrific, isn't it?
3: It is. It's it's very sad. And as a matter of fact, I have my own study, Jonathan, uh, and this was something I'd has been, do, been doing over the last 10 years. I have three ebooks that I share over my website. And uh, one in particular was downloaded over 350,000 times. And in the download request form, there's only one required question. And the question is Do your sales and management teams consistently use an effective coaching framework that creates a healthy, top performing culture and win more sales? 88% of people said, no. And oh. these people represent a global population from a variety of different positions and industries. Yeah. So it's really um, echoing the other you know, startling statistics that we're hearing from the other experts on this call.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely right. Um, and, you know, the serious bottom line is that what we've been talking about for the last four to five years is, our belief that only six percent of sales managers globally are equipped qualified and have the experience to do their job competently okay so you know we can flippantly say six percent the horrific number is that 94 percent are not and what what we need to try and understand is what we can do to give them you know give them the exposure and give them the help and give them the advice they need george you're a ceo um How much, in your opinion, how much um, responsibility does the C Lounge have for ensuring that the sales management function is capable and performing at optimum levels?
4: Well, they have the ultimate responsibility, don't they? So yeah, a huge responsibility. And I think when I hear you speak and and then when I think about these topics, it, it all comes back to Assumptions that we make, that people make about selling, and if you're not a professional salesperson and if you don't have that experience, uh, I think you might make the wrong assumptions that uh, lead to you making uh, not as smart um, decisions as you might would, as yeah. you might do if you knew more. So I think people are assuming that salespeople are born, and that the best salespeople will become great managers and uh, that their forecast will be correct <laughs> yeah uh, so there's so many assumptions i think that uh, that are dangerous and um, in the way when it comes to these things and those just lead to all these other symptoms and problems that we're seeing yeah yeah i mean
0: we've we've spoken so often about the fact that far too many so far too many organizations hamstring themselves by appointing their best salesperson to the management role uh, when the when the vacancy arises, and we've always sort of said, well, you know, that's a really stupid thing to do because you know you're you're removing your best performer, you're putting um you're you're putting an ill-equipped, inexperienced person in to run your team, and and all the reasons that we've discussed and we've discussed and we've discussed. Something came to me last week, and it it reminded me of an occasion when I was. Um, When I was consulting, how much is it the case that quite often the VP of sales or whoever is responsible, maybe in the C-land, for um, promoting the salesperson into sales manager, how much do we feel that often there's a gun to the head? So the salesperson says, well, if you don't appoint me, um, I'll leave and I'll go to a competitor. Have you encountered that, David.
2: Absolutely, I think you know in the in the career path, we sometimes we assume that we want to be in that management role, uh, because that's the next step in my career. Uh, most salespeople have come to the conclusion if they're doing quite well and they're making, you know, they're successful and making a lot of money that they don't want to be in management. But, but I think you know if you're in that that frame of mind that that is something that you would love to do in today's job market it's easy for you to jump from one to another, which I think compounds the problem because you've got a lot of ineffective future managers or sales leaders now that are jumping from one company to another, and you really don't know what you're inheriting on the receiving end, but when you've got a top rep who's bringing X amount of dollars of revenue into your company saying, hey, there's an opening, uh, and I want it, or you've basically told me that I have no spot here in the future, so therefore I am leaving, We sometimes make a short term decision like it can't be any worse than what was here before. Right. I mean, so this person's actually successful. Let me just let me throw my marbles into that into that pool and see if it works over here, because there is no systematic way that they're developing benches today. So, you know, I always say a deadhead is better than no head. Right. So if you believe that, which most of them do, because if the sales leader position is open. Who's filling that actually day to day? Who's doing those roles? It's the person who's very quickly trying to figure out how do I fill that? Because I don't want to do that in addition to my own job. So it almost feeds into the insanity.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mike, um, in your role as sort of, you know, chief trainer and developer and coach and <clears throat> mentor, how often do you encounter organizations that are preparing the next wave of sales managers or even if it's a small organization the next sales manager um, just in case in other words warming them up on the bench
1: oh it's very rare I think that they're usually uh, behind the eight ball all of a sudden they have a vacancy and they're promoting someone they're not prepared properly and often they're just thrown in there they assume they've been a good salesperson. now they're gonna be a good manager and that's almost never the case uh, and we find that most companies don't even have a consistent view of what coaching is. Three fourths of the companies we surveyed said that they leave it up to the manager what what really coaching is. So there's not a consistent language across the organization. And then if the senior leaders don't know that language and they don't coach the front line people, uh, you've got a disaster. Then. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, why is it? Let me ask you all this question.
0: And, and then I'll come back to you, Keith, because I know you want to come in. Why is it? that it's very rare for us to encounter a deputy sales manager on a team, someone that's learning the ropes, someone that's standing in for the sales manager in his absence or her absence whenever the occasion arises, so that we've got a ready-made sales manager to step in should we need one. Why? Why don't we witness that very often, do you think? George, have you an idea?
4: It's it's uh, one thing that I often recommend is that you have uh, you have peer reviews of of um, of opportunities that are important, and um, I find that when you have that, you see some people jump in and coach and help and guide and, and try to be of assistance, uh, while some others just sit quiet and and don't want to give away their secrets. Uh, So I think that's actually an an interesting way to sort of figure out who on your team, on your sales team, could become good managers, have the right mindset to be helping and guiding and supporting their team in the
0: future. Um, It's interesting you say they don't want to give away their secrets. Perhaps they don't know what their secrets are. Or perhaps they don't have any secrets. That's the reality, isn't it? Keith, you, you wanted to come
3: in. I find it interesting that at, at the end of the day, when we're talking about the language of coaching, and I always try to simplify things for leaders, um, coaching is simply a language, you know, it's it's something that not just the managers have to speak to, but also the sales team, uh, the senior leadership, um, every department. Uh, operations, marketing. That's how you start developing a holistic coaching culture. Now, of course, the word coaching has been defined so many different ways. I just want to create a quick baseline here. My personal definition of coaching is the art of creating new possibilities. And if companies are continuing to be that myopic, KPI, metrics-driven organization, they're just driving agendas. They're focusing on revenue over people. and they're not creating new possibilities and they're not developing the future leaders of the organization and to me that's that's the real sad part and and i have to say on on the other side of the spectrum i kick and scream with my clients when i'm delivering a sales leadership coach training program and inevitably i'll hear well keith um should we have the senior leaders in there because you know the frontline managers are going to be there and of course, we're not going to have their salespeople in there because, you know, that would that would change the entire dynamic in the room. And and, you know, people would, won't be opening opening up and sharing. And right after they say that to me, I, I ask them, can you remind me why we're doing this leadership coach training? Oh, yeah, because we want to create a transparent culture of trust, integrity and accountability. <laughs> OK, so uh, maybe I'm missing something here, Mr. and Mrs. Client and quick case study. Three weeks ago, I was in Canada working with a client, kicked and screamed. I had the whole sales team in one room and the high potentials. So, to your point, you call them deputies, I call them high potentials. Got the high potential salespeople in one room with their frontline manager. And in that room, the frontline managers' boss are also in the room. And at the end of two days, when we're going around listening to feedback, every single person, especially the salespeople, looked around and said, Thank you for including me thank you for recognizing that I'm part of the organization. Thank you for acknowledging that I'm a contributor here and that I am part of this and I wanna grow with the team. And from that, it just created such a stronger bond of transparency and coaching where everyone is now accountable to coach each other. And that's just simply not happening in organizations today.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. David, I have got a question for you, but I note that you wanted to come in and uh, make a point on the bench of future leaders
2: yeah I mean, i've agreed what, what has been said i think most organizations don't clearly identify what does it take to succeed as a great sales manager in their organization they just haven't really thought that through and they probably know it intuitively but is it anywhere and so when we're promoting people it's because it's reactive as mike has said and or oh you know such and such so therefore you've been promoted But if it was completely transparent and here are the the skills and experiences that you're going to need to be a sales leader within our organization, that does a couple different things. That allows the individual who does want to make that career track the ability for them to on their own, whether it's invest time or money and to figure out how can I improve my skills in those particular areas that I've been identified. But it also helps the leaders. Right. I mean, there's only one industry that I can see time and time again that have junior sales managers and that's the financial services world. But they did it out of necessity because they've got an 86% failure rate in the first three years. So Mm -hmm. they basically had to do it. Um, But I use that search model, which is an acronym I think if companies can say S is for skills, what skills would that sales leader need in order to be 100% successful? What are the experiences that they should bring into the job, which means that I could help build that if they're salespeople or coming from a different group? And what's the mindset? A is attitude. What's the mindset that they should be having? R is results. So what results should they have in their present job that would say, hey, look, that's going to be transferable over to sales leaders. C cognitive skills and h is habits, but if you would just create this is the list of whether it's competencies and results and habits that you need in order to succeed in that job once i'm hired i'm assuming we all know this we've been on you know we've been on this topic for you know different roundtables that we're not going to get the support that I could at least self diagnose some of the areas that I need to improve upon as I move forward versus hey i'm doing the best I can and i'm learning on the job I think that's it's unfortunate, but that's what I see.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, Okay, I'll I'll come back to you, Dave. Um, I want to go to Mike. Mike, when I was sort of um, heading up sales teams, either as VP sales or sales manager, one thing I learned very early on was, uh, apart from the sort of, you know, the annual appraisal, which I always found quite numbing, and it was very difficult to create a motivational environment simply from that i would always insist on the entire sales team being profiled annually as well and the reason i did that is so that i could be completely up to date with the motivators because i wanted to know what e- really what was motivating each single one of them so that so that i could hopefully coach them to optimum performance levels and you know what we've been talking about is having a deputy sales manager on the bench which is you know i i, I just sort of thought is, frankly it's just a no-brainer but equally, you know, what I used to do is I always had a sort of a steady stream of CVs coming in of top sales performance so that I knew that if I lost one of my team or we had to part company with one of them, you know, I I really I've got I, I probably got someone an instant replacement. Is that the sort of thing that you encounter, um, Mike, with the organizations that that you work with or is that sort of kind of. Is that probably going too far, perhaps?
1: I think that's out of the norm. Uh, that's a great way to do it. That's a smart way to do it, to have the pipeline of potential managers in place. But I don't think many people do that. I think they are behind the eight ball most of the time. And the second, yeah. second thing I think, Jonathan, is that when you think about coaching, uh, I think it was Keith that talked about developing possibilities, that, that too many people, I think, don't understand what coaching is. They think it's primarily just talking about numbers and details yeah. and and quota, and that's critically important. But there's a whole other piece. I mean, they should be coaching to uh, really think about two key conversations. One is a conversation that the manager has with his or her reps, they need to know how to have that conversation. But they also need to shift the conversation they have within themselves. The conversation is going on between their ears. I know I was a top salesperson, but can I really coach? Uh, a lot of these managers are really just super reps of are going out there and doing it for their people. They don't yeah. understand, I think, how to how to coach to the emotional issues, to the achievement drive. How do I uncover the purpose, the passion of that person? As you said, if you know what motivates people, that's the key thing. And most managers don't know how to do that. Well, I think that's absolutely right. And of course, the, the, the other big
0: challenge that that we all have with our clients is quite simply that managers have never been coached to coach. They don't understand how to coach so if you don't understand how to coach you don't understand what the motivators are for each individual you're really fighting an uphill battle aren't you Um, george I, i believe am i correct in thinking that you recently appointed a sales manager yes that is correct can you share with us what was your criteria i mean I mean, I've known you many, many years. I know that you would have gone into great detail. I'm guessing you would have had them prof- professionally profiled at the very
4: least, wouldn't you? Yeah, it, it took me quite a while. <laughs> yeah. I had I had one um, criteria which which was made it all very much more difficult, which was I wanted it to be a woman. Uh, oh. That, that made it take much longer actually, but. Um, no, I think as you've all been speaking about it, it's about finding someone who wants to help other people. To yeah, how did you describe it, Keith? Uh, the art of creating possibilities. Yeah, like that. So, someone who really helps other people understand how to get to the next level, how to grow, how, and I really be. I think empathy is important in in any leader. Uh, yep. To some extent, so that was an important thing um, for me. And, and experience—I mean, if you've if you've had the role and you've been successful in it, I think that's good. Um, what do you share with us? Why you've
0: exposed yourself to sexual discrimination, and why it had to be why it had to be a woman?
4: Yeah, please, I could. Yeah, now. Don't answer first... that question, George. Yeah, that's that's you, a difficult. He's beating it. It is. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I, I took the bait. I took back the bait. <laughs> yeah. Get back on your perch. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now we're too many. Too many guys in the company was the easy explanation. Uh, I I don't want to get into uh, if any. I don't have any assumptions on women being better than than men. But uh, I think we need to have a good balance of of uh, the sexes in the company. Yeah. The easy answer. Yeah, no,
0: that's, 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 I understand. That. That's good. But by, by the way, I saw that Joanne, our, our mutual friend and colleague, Joanne Black, who's, as you know, as we all know, is a huge crusader for the women in sales movement, um, posted on LinkedIn yesterday. She said, hey, guess what? I've just counted up eight of the 12 finalists and top post of the year are women. So I post I posted a comment. I said, how on earth did that happen? We need equality. <laughs> and no, I don't think you got the joke, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but, anyway, all right. So, look, let's revert back to the, the original, one of the original objectives for this roundtable. David, what can we say to Sea residents? What can we say to the people that are appointing the sales managers? What do they need to do?
2: What does the C suite need to do in order to make them effective? Yeah. Well, I, I think when we say we need one, a sales leader, I think then and we find one. I don't I think then that's really when the work starts. That's not really where it ends. I think most of us and the C suite, you know, and I've we've all seen it a million times. We have great ideas, we've got great plans, we want actions, we want this, we want that. And now we've got a sales leader and the sales leader, if you really think about what they're doing unfortunately in many organizations they' are jack- of all trades they are juggling so many different balls you know they're recruiting they're onboarding they're coaching sometimes they're selling you know they're training sales force management the whole the whole thing goes on and I think that sometimes if you talk to sales managers and ask them what their number one problem is, you know, you're not gonna hear, hey, it's me. But what you will hear often, which is really tied into this, is that they have a time compression problem. They're spending so much time on non-productive things that are being asked for by the corporation, whether it's last minute this, last minute that. And it's really hard to be in the people business these days. They're more in the paper business. So I think if I were talking to the C-suite, I would say, hey, make sure that they've got plenty of time to actually grow, find and grow their people. I would create what I said this is a search model for a sales leader and make sure that the C-suite is doing everything that they can to develop that because, you know, it, it, I think it was Mike that said you know, sales managers are made. We're not born. And if you just come to that conclusion that people are made, I didn't grow up, you know, I didn't come into this world saying, hey, I'm going to run Sandler. There's just a series of events that's happened in our lives that have gotten to us to where we are today. And we continually grow. And once you just admit that or at least acknowledge it, then it's really our responsibility to say, what does it take to be 100 percent successful at that job based on our culture, what we're doing, and then what training, coaching, mentoring are we doing in order to get there? And quite frankly, I would test it out. You know, I think for a sales leader, if I could get them four quick steps, I would, one, create a list of things that a sales leader would need to know in their their role to be 100 percent successful. And that's a long list. It's about a 60-some-odd things normally. Second thing is I put them in order of priority because they don't need to know everything at once. So what do they need to know as a brand-new sales leader in the first 30, 60, 90 days? And then I would give them an example. Hey, if I want you to coach this is what coaching looks like in our organization. I know, and Keith will will agree, that's gonna be a stretch, they may not have it, but I'm using it as an example. Show them what to do, because we learn by imitation and illustration. So give them something to mimic, something to do, otherwise they're going to make it up on their own and you're gonna have a ton of different cultures in your organization. And last but not least, I would test it out. So if you do want them to be able to do, X, Y, and Z, then say, okay, you know, here's an example of what it should be in our organization. This is how important it is to us. Let me see you do it. And that's yeah. a, just a great opportunity to hold them accountable, but also to continue their training and coaching, which should be never ending.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you, David. I, I also think that, you know, we, we also have to be fairly cautious that we we don't go overboard and ask them to play it by the book. We mustn't take away their originality. I I, I do firmly believe that, and I'm sure you I I know. There should
2: be some guidelines, right? Guardrails.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Totally agree. Mike, you want to come in on this point? I'd be delighted to. Yes, I agree with what Dave is saying. That too often we hear, "Oh, I don't have time to coach." Well, I think that's really kind of a respectable reason or a respectable excuse today. And a lot of leaders are putting too much on people, paperwork and so forth but I think it's an excuse. If people really understood how critical coaching is, and number two, if they were taught how to do it properly and how it would really save time and improve productivity, they'd do more of it. As far as leaders, I think there's really three things. Number one, they need to understand the financial implications of teaching their people to coach properly. Number two is to have a consistent coaching model, whatever that is for your company, have that across your organization. Number three, probably most important is for the senior leaders be coaching the frontline managers what we found in our research is that when the senior leaders coach the frontline managers there's a 23 percent increase in productivity versus the ones that didn't so simply having a system and modeling it and coaching your people and expecting it gets results yep yeah yeah i couldn't agree more
0: keith um we we seem to be, well, just hang on a second. <clears throat> can I say to all of you, excuse me, <clears throat> can I say to all of you, we're going to try and leave the listeners and the viewers um, with three tips they can take away. So what we're really thinking here is, the people that, are, that, that the sales managers report to, okay, that appointed them, um, that should share the responsibility if the sales manager fails. And note, I'm using the word manager and not leader, and that is deliberate. What advice can we give them to take away? What two or three tips can each of you share with them? So I'll give you some time to think about that. Keith, I'm going to go back to that point about sales managers and sales leaders. Do you not think that we're using the word
3: leader too loosely? I think if if you look at the overarching word, and I think so many uh, companies, they over-engineer, oh, well, this is a leader, and this is coaching, and this is counseling, and this is a one-on-one. Yeah, and I've heard this, you know, from, from, from Dave and Mike and, and George's, you know, at the end of the day, we simplify, you know, don't overcomplicate. Coaching is a language that's it. And, you know, as, as I've heard some great stats here is, you know, frontline managers also need to coach their senior leadership and salespeople need to coach their frontline manager, because when you do that, then all of a sudden the numbers, the revenue, the sales exponentially, increase. So it has to be holistically, not just from the top down, but also from the proverbial, you know, floor from the field up. And the other thing is cultural arrogance. There's this there's this cultural this company arrogance out there, this corporate arrogance that companies believe that oh we have a great culture, just look at our numbers. Well, companies collapse a great culture with great results. That's not true. These two ideas are mutually exclusive. Now, of course, the results are critical for business success, but you know if you have a great culture, C-suite, when you're enjoying the ride, feel your work complements your life, are living your values, and are self-motivated to attain your goals at work. That's when you know you have a healthy culture, and just because you're hitting your numbers doesn't mean you have a healthy culture. So I challenge the c suite out there to start gathering some truth, look in the mirror and say, hey. Am I truly waking up every morning and asking myself the right question or am I asking myself the, hey, what do I need to do and what do my people need to do to achieve their business objectives? When the right question is, what do I need to do to make my people more valuable today than they were yesterday? Yeah.
0: And it's also true, isn't it? When you look at um, uh, the various competitions that go on around globally almost the best companies to work for the best companies to work for in the us the best companies to work for in europe and the uk and it's very interesting that they're also the most successful companies usually so those two yeah. things do clearly go hand in hand okay
3: and, well and i also i also hmm. feel if i could just jump in one other thing if i could before i jump back on my perch JS, is uh <laughs> companies need to start actually living their vision and company values yeah. because they're not yeah. because for all the values and all the time that companies take and 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 all these departments take to put together all their here's our company vision and here are our core values and it sounds so nice when you read it oh we value you know integrity and we value collaboration and we value um feedback and we value of course coaching and 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 self-accountability and and all these wonderful things until the scorecard and the KPIs are in front of you and all that stuff gets thrown out the window. So it's not just an exercise in writing it down. Companies need to start living the actual values that they want their people
0: to live. Yes. But the, 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 the people, it's absolutely imperative that the people understand what the values are and they understand (laughs) their part, the part that they have to play, within that overall culture to make that culture successful and too often you know it simply isn't siphoned down um
3: and and i think that's one of the big challenges i think that the that's why, and of- that's jeff and that's why i say it it siphons down because that's actually not where you create the vision and the values you don't start it at the top you start it with the people who are out there in the field you get every single person involved every single person has a fingerprint on hey, these are the core values that are important to me. Hey, this is the company that I want to work for, and here's the vision that I see for this organization. Mm -mm. That's the way you create a holistic culture where everyone now is part of that same unified goal and vision.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's got to be a shared vision, otherwise it simply won't work. Um, And I think that, you know, I think there's got to be a level of responsibility the people that are hiring the sales managers because this is what we're talking about today specifically the people that are hiring sales managers um, and are responsible for developing them have got to also take responsibility if they fail because you know if if they appointed them then you know it, it, you can't just blame the manager it, it's just not on okay so we're ready to discuss
4: Two or three tips that you might want to share. Are you happy to start, George? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah, I think one thing that, that's that been missing a bit in, in our discussions is that there needs to be something to coach to, <laughs> right? Mm. And we can coach the individual. Uh, but I think what I see often is missing, and this is a C suite problem, is the clear vision and strategy and how that ties down to the execution. So I think being very clear on on what your company is, is made to, made for, why why it exists, how you're helping customers, what your position is in the market. All those things need to be clear. Uh, and then it will become much easier uh, for, for the manager to coach. Yeah. So uh, really,
0: what what, are you suggesting that essentially organizations ought to create, if you will, inverted commas, a model of excellence? And this is what we're trying to work to.
4: Yeah, way of selling. I, yeah, I, I the it. way we do things around here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really crucial. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, help the managers to enable their people. And I think there, we get. I get back to the assumptions. We just assume that okay, they they used to sell themselves, so they can absolutely do that. But of course, there's much more to it, and I see a lot of stinginess there uh, or shortcuts being made. Uh, I've been asking people to look at their tools versus skill development ratio, which is getting completely whacked. Uh, People are buying tools for so much money, expecting that to solve all the problems. And of course Mm -hmm. it won't, because we're dealing with people. People have behaviors and we wanna improve the behaviors and just throwing in some tools is not gonna do that. So we have to focus on enabling the managers to enable their people, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, um, um, sorry. Yeah, George, one, one thing I want to throw in there is, is I see too little time being spent on really analyzing what works and what does not work. Mm-hmm. So win-loss analysis, really taking that seriously so that we know, okay, we win for these reasons or we lose when we do these things uh, poorly uh, so that we really learn and then take that back and iterate the strategy iterate the processes iterate the the skills uh, yeah. there's too there's too much slowness there i think we need to be more agile
0: i think that's a very, <clears throat> excuse me i think that's a very very good point i mean it's quite usual for organizations to conduct post mortems when they lose business but i i would suspect if i use pareto again that less than 20% of organizations and sales teams and sales leaders conduct post-mortems when they win business and understand what they did right and how can they improve on that rather than becoming complacent, oh, we won the order, we we must have been perfect. Perfection doesn't exist.
4: Yeah, and, and actually do something about it. I think that's where I see people fall down. Sure,
1: sure, sure. It's, it's a point well made. Mike, can we bring you in? Uh, yes, I was thinking it's an outstanding conversation, I think, I was thinking of three things, Jonathan. One is the senior leaders need to make coaching culture a priority if that means understand the financial ramifications of that by coaching culture i mean up down across that everybody is helping to build each other Uh, number two is you need to install a simple process if it's too complicated people won't do it it's a simple process you develop yourself we use an outside source like one of the folks here on the on the call but to figure out how to help people have the conversation with their reps that is not just about numbers and details, but how do I build people? How do I motivate that person? What's their purpose? Why are they doing this? How is that tied to the company's vision? How do I find out the truth of what's really going on with that person and help him or her improve? And number three is to model it. As a senior leader, if they don't see you modeling this, it's not important. So they need to be a model of of what they believe.
0: Yeah, that's three very, very good points, Mike. Thank you. Keith, are you
3: able to come in? I am. Uh, of course, as you know, Jonathan, I will try my best to limit it to three. Uh, number one, uh, there is so much talk out there about being a strategic, a strategic thinker, a critical thinker. There's something that's missing. Before you can become a critical thinker and a strategic thinker, you need to become a critical questioner. Because after all, what precedes the answers is the question. The the right question is what's going to stimulate new thinking and innovation. So number one, managers and leaders and salespeople need to become strategic questioners. Number two, um, managers and leaders, please don't think you could read an article or listen to this uh, wonderful roundtable or read a book on coaching and you can close that book and say, I now know how to coach. All right. And that's when managers and companies are successful in spite of themselves, because they think just because they're hitting numbers, they're doing well. And that is not the case. And finally, uh, and this goes back to the greatest uh, myth that that managers permeates in every organization is I don't have time to coach. Well, that's like saying I don't have time to breathe, because if coaching is just a language, if you have time to be the chief problem solver and do everyone else's job for them and you have time to dole out answers and solutions to your people all day long and do their job, then you have time to ask a question. Choose, lead with answers or lead with questions. And finally, managers need to take the time to get to know their people. Most managers, I think the last time I checked about 87% of managers have no idea what motivates their people, what their core values are, what their priorities are, why they come to work every day. And they just, you know, to George's point, they just make gross assumptions about what they think their people want, need, or even how they want to be coached or even held accountable.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's. I like three good points, um, Keith, and well done. You you did manage to um, stick to three. But the, the third <laughs> one is the, the third one is of particular value. I always I always sort of said to when I was coaching managers get to know your team within the first ninety days, get to know everything about them you possibly can, get to know what their wife's name is, what the children are called, where the children go to school, yeah. everything. Because that way you're going to be able to communicate with them on their level. When you when you come into work in the morning, you're going to glance across as they get out of the car and you're going to know instantly, because you know, particularly if you've developed emotional intelligence, you know instantly if they've got a challenge that day, they've got a problem. They're sad, they're happy. You need to understand that you need to identify anything that's going to prevent them from performing at optimum levels that particular day and any day. So, yeah, I'm sold on that one. David,
2: I think three things that I would tell the C-suite in order to help develop uh, sales leaders. One is to create what the optimal sales leader looks like or sales manager, not not from a vision or perspective, but really what does it take in our company to succeed at this job? What do we expect you to be doing day by day? And how are we going to judge you? How are we gonna keep you accountable? Those things, and so that would be one. Two is I think we should think about and really come to the conclusion that because we are made, that we have to continue to develop sales leaders you know for those that send people to a one-day or a two-day program and check the box you know as keith and mike said that doesn't uh, work in coaching and it certainly doesn't work when you're developing your people you know most of the top producing companies they're they're spending their sales leaders to programs over eight days plus in a year which we can argue is not enough but the fact is it's probably seven days more than most and i and i think the side there is that there are plenty of assessments out there for the C-suite to use that would clearly identify who at least has the competency to be a sales leader within their company. And that way you can take a lot of the gut out of it. That doesn't mean that they have 100% success rate, but it certainly helps you from more of a scientific approach versus who did I connect with and during this 30-minute uh, interview. And I think the last one for me would be, um, a little different, but it's cl- it's close to what's been said, which is, yeah, get to know your sales leaders, but also spend time with your sales leaders every single week. Think about it. If we opened up our calendars or and said, how much time have we spent with our sales leaders? If you're in the C-suite, if it's not a lot, then I would I would urge you to redirect some of the, your own time commitments, because in my opinion, that's the hardest job in most organizations, and it's the most important job, because you are... You are in charge of bringing revenue into this company. Those would be my three.
0: Yeah, good three. I mean, that's absolutely right. I said right at the front end of the the discussion that, you know, the reality is that the sales team is the engine room and the sales manager is driving the engine room. And, you know, sales are what make uh, organizations successful or indeed if they fail. It's almost impossible to fail if you're making profitable sales on a regular basis and you're you're hitting your key objectives and you're doing your numbers i mean unless you've got some muppet in in finance who's wittering it all away uh it's almost impossible not to be um and not to sustain success i think me i mean really all four of you have given me some very very good points and i'm sure given the listeners a great deal to think about i think i would probably add to all of that I think it's very important that sales managers don't sit around waiting for someone to be successful. What we are suggesting here is that yes, then they need greater support. You know, we we are advocating that, of course. But equally, you know, I think that sales managers stroke leaders need to accept and work to the mantra, if it's to be, it's up to me. I think they need to spend time, they need to invest time on themselves and, you know, in themselves and improve their skills and probably sort of communicate with with more seasoned sales managers and ask for their advice and let some of their success rub off on them, read, go to all these, you know, all the wonderful resource sites, not just top sales world where you can find webinars, white papers, articles, podcasts, you know, just accept that mantle uh, and, and it's it's a good way to improve. So I'm about to wrap up, but I note that I've got a message from Keith in my message box. Yes, Keith, you've got one more point.
3: One more point is to treat your leaders like world-class athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, someone said it earlier, I heard it from several people. Is you know, you can't send your people to a one-day training event expecting them to be you know master coaches. You know, at least give them two days, right, JF? But yeah. tr- if you treat your leaders like world-class athletes. They never stop being developed, coached, observed, and trained. So if you want to develop a bench of future leaders of the organization, it starts with the leaders you have now. And finally, when it comes to change, and these are massive changes when we're looking at our company's DNA and, and our corporate ecosystems here, is that when you're looking to foster change and you start creating cultures like this, remember one thing. If managers, your intentions are not clear, people default to fear. So it's critical that as you're going out there and trying to make positive changes, changes for you to be the best leader you can be for your organization. Make sure you let your people know what your intentions are.
0: I knew you. I knew you'd squeeze in another couple of points. I knew you'd <laughs> restrain yourself and keep yourself to three. You go and spend five minutes over on the naughty step. Go on, off you go. Right, uh, th- that's probably a wrap. So I want to thank the panel, of course, George Bronton, Mike yesterday, David Matson, and Keith Rosen. It's been a it's been a very interesting and fascinating uh, discussion. I like to sometimes call it a debate, but then George pulls me up on that one and said, no, it's a discussion, it's a discussion. And I think he's absolutely right, of course. All we really wanted to achieve from this particular roundtable was to make it very, very clear to the people that sit above sales managers, further up the food chain, that these guys are feeling isolated, and girls, uh, of course, feeling isolated it's a lonely lonely position sales manager often you've gone from a position where you are totally responsible for your own success to one where a sales team are driving your success and you are responsible for them and then you've got a report above you of course so you know I think we've all got to do whatever we can um, having recognized that the role again to use that word is pivotal today and you know when certainly through 2000 through 2019 where we've been completing our research work and we will take that into 2020 we will be identifying ways in which we can all make the sales managers job easier and help them become more successful because that success will permeate down and it will permeate up okay so gentlemen thank you very much Uh, again it's been a it's been a great discussion before i let you all go you should be aware that's not letting the panel go that's let the audience go Uh, you should be aware that the annual top sales awards uh, is taking place at the moment Um, we are closed for nominations Uh, we've named the finalists you'll find all the details over at top sales world and on january the 7th we'll be announcing the medalists exclusively in january's top sales magazine we're very grateful to our principal sponsor uh, sander training of course and finally if you haven't discovered the sales futurist yet i suggest you do all four members of today's panel are part of the sales futurist team there are only 24 of us and if you haven't heard the background story on the sales futurist it is quite simply that so many sea lounge residents we're certainly giving them a, a, a an airing today aren't we uh, contacted me over the last two to three years and said jonathan we love top sales world um, it's full of really interesting information, but we really have to dig around for things, you know, for topics that are interest to us. Yeah, we're, we're looking at sort of digitalization. We're looking at sales enablement. We want to look for customer experience management. Those are the topics that drive our interest. And yes, we can find them over at Top Sales World, but it's more difficult. We're, what we have to wade through is sort of cold calling advice and, you know, prospect generation and everything else, which is great for our sales team, but not for us. So, of course, based on all of that, I then gathered around me 23 good friends, um, all experts in their chosen field, um, and we created the Top Sales Futurists. and we're going to grow that significantly in 2020. So do please, you know, pop over there regularly and keep an eye on what's going on. So that's it. That's the last Uh, that's the last real recording of the 2019 roundtable series. We will be back at the end of January and we've got a full programme. We will be making a recording every single month through 2020. So, um, and I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been really, really interesting. And for me, I think the acid test is that all of the panellists, every single one of them have asked if they could come back at some point. So, you know, I think it's proved that they enjoy it. I certainly enjoy hosting them. And judging by the number of downloads that the recordings are, are enjoying, uh, then clearly the audience, the listeners and the viewers are enjoying it too. So I guess, you know, uh, that really just leads me to say thank you for all of your support in 2019. And I'll be here for you with another panel in 2020. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.